The following podcast is going to contain spoilers, along with a guy who puts on a costume his mom made for him and goes out and fights crime. Proceed at your own risk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and today I'm talking about Superman, but not just any Superman. Today I start a new series. A new series of books, John Burns, Superman. So the origin of Superman has been told a number of times. We all kind of know it, the basics behind the origin. Superman is a Kryptonian. The planet of Krypton, the place that he's from, explodes. His parents, Jor-El and Lara, put him on a rocket ship as a baby, sends him off into space. He crash lands on Earth. He survives, of course, the explosion of his planet. Crash lands in Kansas, Smallville, Kansas, to be exact. Jonathan and Martha Kent find him, adopt him, and raise him as their own. And then he becomes Superman. The radiation from Earth's yellow sun gives him these superpowers. When on Krypton, their sun was red. On Earth, the sun is yellow, and it gives him all these superpowers. The thing is, though, If you've ever read the actual origin, the original first story of Superman, it is slightly different. I read it a year or two ago, and it's really short. They don't show you Krypton at all. They may not even use the name Krypton. All you know is a baby from space, from a a planet that was blown up, crash lands on Earth. He's actually found and put into an orphanage. And I don't believe Jonathan and Martha Kent are even mentioned in the original origin of Superman, the the very first issue of action comics that he shows up in. It's not, it's during, it's at some point in there, they start to add more to his backstory. And I think it's then that they add the the Kansas connection and and Smallville and Ma and Pa Kent and all that, because they create a a Superboy character and they tell the, the early adventures of Superman as Superboy and all that. But then eventually in the 80s, Crisis on Infinite Earths comes along. DC decides that their continuity is all messed up because there's this whole multiverse out there and it's confusing readers, even though it wasn't. The the people that were reading DC comics regularly at the time, they had no issue with the multiverse. They were trying to, from, from what I understand, they were trying to make it easier for the new reader to come in. And so they did the Crisis on Infinite Earths, and they basically rebooted DC Comics. And John Byrne's Superman came out of that. John Byrne was asked to take on the title of Superman. He became basically like a showrunner, the head writer of the Superman comics. He put out a six-issue miniseries called The Man of Steel, and then he did uh, Action Comics and Superman, and it just... It was a big thing for John Byrne to come to DC Comics because he had been doing the X-Men and then he did Fantastic Four. And he comes to DC Comics and he basically becomes the guy that creates the Superman mythos that's sort of stuck around till today. They've had they've retold his origin a couple of times since then. But this is where I came in on DC Comics. I was I was reading Marvel Comics before DC's Crisis. But I wasn't reading DC Comics. I didn't get into DC Comics until after the crisis. And it was the Man of Steel miniseries and John Byrne's Superman that brought me in. You ask any comic reader today who is into Superman, 
You know, who is your Superman? And they'll have different stories. Mark Wade retold the origin of Superman at one point. They called it uh, a miniseries called Superman Birthright. Jeff Johns retold the origin in Secret Origins. And so everybody has kind of their own first time reading Superman. Which Superman is it? Is it the Golden Age Superman, the Silver Age Superman, the John Byrne Superman? You know, which one? And for me, it was always the John Byrne Superman. And I've been really keen on going back and reading all these old issues again. And I thought I'd let you guys join in on the fun. So this, what we're going to be talking about today is the first issue of Man of Steel. Again, this is the six-issue limited series that John Byrne created to retell the origin of Superman and bring Superman into a post-crisis DC universe. So it was written and penciled by John Byrne with inks by Dick Giordano. Letters were done by John Costanza. Tom Ziuko was the colorist. And of course, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and John Schuster. This issue was published in July of 1986 and actually came with two different covers. I don't know when the whole idea of alternate covers came into being, but this issue had two different covers. You had, there, there was a certain cover template that was used for all six issues that was kind of a, a split down the middle cover and, uh, you had a figure on one side and something else going on on the other side. And they did that for issue one, but they also did a cover that's just a close up of Clark Kent's chest as he's opening up his shirt and tie. And you can see the Superman S shield there underneath. I, of course, am reading this digitally. So technically I have both covers. So the story opens up on Krypton. We start with the story of Krypton and you get kind of a brief explanation of why Krypton explodes. There's something that is infecting the entire planet called the green. And it has actually, it's been killing millions of people all across Krypton, some kind of plague, but it's also seeped into the, the very bedrock of the planet. And it is converting like the crust of the planet, the rocks, the very rocks themselves into this green rock that emits this radiation that is killing off the people on the planet. This will, of course, be known later as kryptonite. And so right away, John Byrne is tying in the idea of kryptonite with being Superman's only weakness. It's not, it's not just this irradiated rock floating out in space that was, you know, at one point part of Krypton. And when it blew up, it created these irradiated rocks. It is the actual thing that is destroying Krypton. And you learn that the Kryptonians are a very, they're basically like Vulcans. They're a very emotionless race, very technologically advanced. They have basically altered the planet so much. There's, there's not one corner of the planet that has not been altered by them using some form of technology. They control the weather. They control everything. And this, of course, has been their downfall from this, from this control that they have tried to take on Mother Nature, you can't control Mother Nature, and Mother Nature will fight back. And in this case, she created some deadly radiated green rocks that kills the entire planet and seeps into the, the planet's core and makes it explode. Well, Jor-El seems to be the only one who truly understands what's going on. The other Kryptonians, they, they know that this is a plague and that it's killing people, but they feel that they can cure it at some point using their advanced technology because they're very, they're very cocky. 
Jorel, however, he has traveled all across the planet and he's done a lot of tests and he's gone into various areas and he's learned that the planet will explode. And so he knows that he can't save the planet, but he can save his son. Here's another little change that John Byrne did. Instead of Jor-El putting his infant son in a rocket and shooting it off into space, Clark hasn't officially been born yet, or Kal-El, as he's known. He hasn't officially been born yet. Babies are created in a, in a gestation matrix. It's very romantic. And in fact, there's this one scene after they, they send the baby away where Jor-El says to Lara very romantically, from the moment I was first shown your hollow image and told your seed and mine would be mingled in the matrix, I have felt an unknown emotion stirring in my heart. Our world has not had a place for what I feel, not in a hundred centuries, but I have studied well the habits of the earthlings and I have learned from them an understanding of what I feel. And even though we die, I am content so long as we die together, for I have always loved you. And so they don't even have a choice as far as who they hook up with, who they marry, who they spend the rest of their life with. They're, they're paired up to mix their seed together in a matrix, in a gestation matrix, and the child is born outside of the, the, the family unit. It's not, the mother does not carry it to term. It's, it's done inside of a, a big black ball, basically. And so Jor-El has, has all his little helper robots get the gestation matrix and hook it up to a rocket ship. And that's what he launches out into outer space. And so by the time the rocket crashes on Earth, Clark has been brought to term. He's born. He's a baby at that point. I keep calling him Clark, but at this point, he's still call out. Now, if, if, if you've ever seen Smallville, and I think they even do it in the, the original 70s Superman movie, you, you have that scene in your head where Jonathan and Martha are driving the backcountry roads in their old truck and a rocket flies by in front of them and and slams into a field and they run out and they they find a baby in a rocket ship. And that's not how it worked with John Byrne's story either. But we'll get to that, okay? So they launch little Kal-El off in his rocket ship. He's still just a uh, just an egg, basically, or a little fetus. He's gestating in the Matrix, and they send him off, and then the planet explodes. At one point, Jor-El is telling Laura what, what his plans are. He explains to her that the planet only has hours, if not minutes, before it's going to explode, and the only thing he can do is save their son. She is, of course, very upset about this because she will never know the touch of her son's hand, never see his smiling face. And he explains to her, don't worry, I'm sending him somewhere where not only will he be safe, he's actually going to thrive. I'm sending him to this planet called Earth. And he shows her images of Earth. And the first thing we see is a farmer out in a field because he says, I'm sending them to Earth, to an area known as America, to a, and to a subsection of America called Kansas. And he shows this footage that he's somehow gotten, I don't know, some kind of giant video camera telescope. And there's a farmer out in the field and he doesn't have a shirt on. And Laura just freaks out. She's like, oh my gosh, what a hairy barbarian burying his skin for all to see. And Jor-El's like, chill out. It's going to be okay. Matter of fact, he's, he's going to be safe. He's going to be better than safe because the earth has a yellow sun. And this is where we get the first explanation of Superman's powers. He explains that the radiation from Earth's yellow sun will get into Clark and Clark will act as a solar battery 
drawing in all the radiation from the Earth's yellow sun stored in his body and give him these superpowers that will make him super strong and all that. And Jorel even says that by Earth standards, Kal-El will be like a god to them. And Laura really likes that. She's like, oh, so one day he'll come to rule them. And he says, eh, perhaps. And so they send him off. He very romantically tells her that he has always loved her from the day he first saw her hollow image. And uh, the planet blows up. That's the end of the prologue. We then go into the main story and it opens up with Clark in high school. He's playing football. It's the last game of the season, high school football. And they are winning, and it's all because of Clark, because he is a super athlete. And Jonathan is standing on the sidelines with the coach, and the coach is like, oh, Jonathan, your boy is amazing. Look how awesome he is. We've had such a great season, and it's all because of your boy. He's practically won this game all by himself. And Jonathan's a little worried because he he can see Clark's teammates over there sitting on the bench, and they're not looking too happy. And he says, well, his teammates don't seem to be too happy about this. They really haven't had much of a chance to do anything in the game. And the coach is like, ah, they're jealous because they know Clark is the man. And then the game is won and Clark is celebrating and he's with Lana Lang and he's and Lana's like, you were great, Clark. And he goes, yeah, I was pretty good, wasn't I? I pretty much won that game all by myself. And Jonathan says, Clark, I need to talk to you. And Clark says, okay, Pa, I promised Lana I'd go out for a soda with her after the game. I'll meet up with you afterwards. And Jonathan's like, no, Clark, now. And so he gives Clark a ride home. And that's when he tells him the story. He takes them out to this field, basically. And he's like, it's time I've told you the truth. And they go out to this field and there's this big wooden door in the ground. And he tells Clark, go ahead and open the door. You're strong enough to do it now. And he opens the door and under the door is a big pit. And at the bottom of the pit is the rocket ship. And so Jonathan tells him the story of how they were standing out on their porch one night and they saw this flash of light and what looked like an asteroid land in, a, in one of their fields. They jumped in the truck. They went out to look. They found this rocket ship. They assume it's Russian because it's the 80s. Martha goes to investigate and Jonathan's like, no, don't go down there. It might have radiation or stuff in it. And she's like, no, can't you see there's something inside it? There's something alive in there. Jonathan's scratching his head and he goes, well, they've been sending monkeys. They've sent monkeys and dogs and whatnot up, whatnot up into space. And they touch the outside of the, the gestation matrix and it opens up and there's Clark as a baby, little Kal-El. And she's like, oh, it's a baby. Why would they send a baby into space? And she goes to take him up and Jonathan says, no, don't, don't take the baby. You don't know that it's human. It could be a Martian. And she says, nonsense. Look at it. It's as human as you and me. And so they take the baby home. And then that night, Smallville is hit by a blizzard, a blizzard the likes of which hasn't been seen in decades. And it traps them in their home for five months, a five-month-long blizzard. And so by the time the snow's clear and they're able to go into town, they basically tell everybody that this is their baby, that Martha had been pregnant, she had the baby after the blizzard hit, and everybody just goes along with it. They just, they, there, there's no reason for them to think that the Kents are lying. The Kents had been trying to have a baby for a while, hasn't worked out, miscarriages and whatnot. And now they have a baby and they've named him Clark. So he's, so Clark is at first, he's taken aback. He's like, are you telling me that I'm adopted and that I might be an alien? And Jonathan's like, yeah, pretty much. But the story's not done. He tells him how everything seemed to be okay until when Clark was eight 
and he was heading home from school and he was taking a shortcut through this old man Higginbottoms, whatever the old the farmer's name was, going through his field. Jonathan was driving by in his truck and he could see Clark walking through the field. He also saw this bull, the prize bull, this farmer's prize bull, charge at Clark from behind. And before he could do anything, the bull tramples Clark and then runs away. He's like, trample, ha ha, and runs away. And Jonathan freaks out. He gets out of the truck and he's like, oh my goodness, my child has died. There's nothing I could have done. There's nothing I can do for him. He runs out to the field expecting to find poor little eight-year-old Clark's crushed body. And he just finds Clark laying there with his clothes torn up, but nothing's wrong with him. He's like, Paul, what happened? And he decided not to tell Martha, but Martha quickly finds out when she's standing out on the porch and she sees Clark pick up the pickup truck to get a ball from underneath. And then eventually Clark learns to fly. And uh, as he's telling Clark all this, Clark's like, well, I know all that. Why are you telling me all this stuff I already know? The only thing I didn't know is the rocket ship. And so they go home and they pull up into the driveway and they get out of the truck and Martha's waiting for them on the porch and she just says, you told him? And Jonathan says, I told him. And Clark says, he told me. And so they go inside and Martha's like, I'm sorry, we never told you before. And I hope you don't hate us because we adopted you. And he says, no, of course not, Ma. I still love you. You're still my mom, Pa. And he goes, but it has got me to thinking. I have these strange powers and I shouldn't be using them basically to win football games. I should be going out in the world and doing good. I should be using these powers for good. He goes, so that's what I'm going to do. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to do good. Now, they make it sound like he just decides, all right, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to pack a bag and I'm going to leave and I'm going to go walk the earth and I'm going to do good deeds. And the only reason I point that out, because it it you do feel like that's they just made that snap decision right there. And my first thought is, dude, aren't you going to finish high school? You got to go to college, too, because eventually you're going to become a reporter and you probably need a little college education for that. And so I guess you just have to assume that while he's out there doing good, he's staying home. But then they jump forward seven years and Jonathan and Martha are in the kitchen and Martha is putting together a scrapbook. She's well, she's adding things to a scrapbook and she explains, you know, Jonathan knows what it is, but she has to explain anyway. So the reader knows she's been keeping a scrapbook of what she refers to as disasters that never happened because Clark was there to stop it. And she does say that in the seven years since Clark left. So they don't, again, they don't explain. You don't know if that means after he graduated high school and then left. You just really get the feeling that that night, after he found out that he was an alien, that he said, all right, I'm leaving and I'm gonna go do good. And he never graduated high school, didn't get his GED. They don't, they don't talk about any of that. And I think that's kind of weird because you really do get the impression. So- you get the impression that he he just didn't, he just packed up and left. And I'm sure that's not the case, but I don't think they ever talk about it again. But as they're talking about this scrapbook, Jonathan opens up the paper and he goes, oh, Martha, I got a new article for you, but this one you're not going to like. And it's the front page of the Daily Planet. And it basically says a flying Superman saves space plane or something. And then they hear a creaking from upstairs. Somebody's upstairs in Clark's room and they go up there and Clark's in his room. And he tells them, Ma, they, Ma, Pa, they were all over me. They were, they, they wanted to tear me to pieces. And so he tells this story about being in Metropolis and they were celebrating the anniversary of this airport. And as a celebration, they were going to land 
this futuristic space plane at the airport. And then as it was coming in for a landing, a small civilian plane somehow comes into the airspace. They don't ex- explain the pilot was drunk or passed out or something. They don't, they don't explain any of that. But the small plane slams into the back of this space plane. They fuse together and then they both dive. They're going to crash and kill everybody aboard. And Clark realizes he has to help. And he just has to do it. There's not, there's no way he can do it secretly so nobody can see. And so he flies up there, grabs a hold of the plane. It lands safely. Lois Lane, a reporter for the Daily Planet, was on the plane. And so before Clark can take off, she, she jumps off the plane. She says, hold it right there, buster. And right away, it's like he looks into her eyes and Dreamweaver starts playing. Dreamweaver. Blah, blah, bloop, blah, bleak, blah, blue, but dig, die, hi. I don't know the words, but you know the bass line, boom, but diddle, dome, dome, diddle, you know, that really funky beat. It's just for him, love at first sight. But before she can really start questioning him, the, the crowd just mobs them. Who are you? How can you do this? Give me a piece of your shirt. And so he takes off and he's really upset about it because he wants to help people, but he realizes he can't do that and have a life at the same time just based on what happened there at the space plane. So he and Ma and Pa concoct a little scheme. Jonathan says, I think I know a way for you to do what you want to do and still live a normal life. And so his mom makes his costume for him. Jonathan and Clark create the S-Shield. They don't say how. They don't say what it's made of. You just, Martha is sewing his suit together And Clark comes in and she says, did you guys come up with something? And he goes, yeah, this is the logo we came up with. And he holds up the S shield and he goes, we made one for the front and for the back. And she goes, all right, give it to me. I'll stitch it on. And so she's finishing up his costume and Jonathan says, and I got an idea for him to, so people won't recognize him when he's out of costume. And Jonathan hands him a pair of glasses and he goes, see Martha with his hair slicked back and a pair of my old spectacles on. It changes his face. If he just slouches a bit, nobody will ever know that he is, he and this other, this super guy are the same people. That's it. They slick his hair back and they put the glasses on and bam, he's completely changed. And so she says, okay, well, I got the costume done. Try it on. And he's pulling the costume on and she's like, I made it to fit snugly, to fit tight, because I always noticed growing up that any of the clothes that you wore that were tight to your skin never got torn or ripped. She goes, but I did add the cape, which probably will get torn, but I think it gives it a good look. And he's pulling on the boots and his his dad goes, I'm glad we went with them boots. It gives a good swashbuckler look. And then soon he's got the whole costume on and he's standing over his mother, Ma Kent, and he's he's a good foot and a half taller than her. And he thanks her by kissing her on the head. And he says, from now on, if something bad is going on, it's going to be a job for Superman. And he flies away. And that's how the issue ends. It was... It was a fun story, but really looking at it as a whole, they really packed a lot of stuff in that one issue. I can't help but think that if they were retelling this story now, the exact same, the John Byrne version, that first issue would be at least three issues because they really raced through a lot of that stuff. I mean, it's like planet blows up, the Kents get the the little baby, he grows up, superpowers, saves a plane decides he's going to save, he's going to help people. They create a costume, boom. He's Superman by the end of the first issue. And I get it. 
That's just the way it was back then. I think people would have been pretty upset back then if they had read this first issue and he wasn't Superman by the end of it. Things are a little different nowadays. I think you can kind of get away with that. I think they probably would have shown him as Superman right from the beginning. They would have shown him as Superman, probably rescuing somebody or beating up a bad guy. Then they would have started his origin, spent the rest of the issue with the fall of Krypton. Maybe the first issue would have ended with him crash landing in Kansas as a baby, spent the second issue dealing with uh, him growing up with these superpowers. And then by the end of the third issue, he has become Superman. That's that's how I think it would have been done now. But it was still as tightly packed as it was. It was still a fun little issue. And the art, of course, is amazing. I'm a huge John Byrne fan. I would definitely recommend this. Anybody who is into Superman, if they have not read this, I would recommend it to you. I feel like anybody that considers themselves a Superman fan needs to read all the origin stories. They need to read the first one. They need to read this one. They, there's probably a, a number of select issues throughout the Golden Age and the Silver Age that people need to read. I've not read most of them, but Superman was a completely different character from the Golden Age to the Silver Age. And then even into the, the, I guess you'd call this the modern or the bronze age. I guess you'd call this the modern or the bronze age when, when John Byrne takes over. Three very distinctively different characters. Golden Age Superman, Silver Age Superman, and John Byrne Superman. And you could even probably say that the character changes drastically throughout those Golden Age and Silver Age years. Because the way I understand it, they would just every once in a while, they'd, they'd make an issue and they'd go, oh, you know what? Let's, uh, let's give Clark x-ray vision. Let's give Clark heat vision. They just added powers as they went along. So by the time John Byrne got a hold of him, he just created one whole character using all of that. And he remained that way for a number of years. If you've ever read The Death of Superman, that whole storyline, that's the John Byrne Superman. And he remained that way for a number of years until I think when uh, Mark Wade retold the origin. They didn't quite reboot him at that point, but they did update his origin quite a bit from what I remember. I think maybe they go into a more of an explanation of him when he leaves and goes out among the world to help people. It's been a while. I'll have to read that again. It would be kind of fun, I think, to do a series of episodes just talking about the various versions of Superman. I think that would be fun. And I hope you come along with me for this ride, John Byrne Superman. I don't know how many issues it's going to end up being, but it's 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 quite a few. I've got at least four digital trades right now, so it's going to be a number of issues. So stick with me. I'm not going to do all the spiel I normally do at the end of the episode about my Patreon and Facebook and Twitter and all that crud. All the links to all the various places you can find me or you can help support me and, and all that junk, it's going to be in the show notes. So go out and do all that stuff. But until then, let's wrap up the episode. My name is Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Vote. Wear a mask. Stay safe. All that stuff. Out. Good job. Yeah.